0: Ray Montgomery, I'd like to welcome you to the Bosma Enterprises Navigating Blindness podcast. And today I have with me Mr. Kurt Dykman, manager of the Bosma Rehab Center. How are you doing today, Kurt? I'm just doing great. All right. I wanted to bring you on the show today, really, just to talk to you a little bit uh, about what we do here at the Bosma Enterprises Rehabilitation Center and how we help clients uh, regain their independence and the confidence that may have lost uh, once you uh, lost your sight uh, so Kurt um how long have you been um working here at Bob enterprises i'm in uh halfway between my fourth and
1: fifth years okay Four,
0: five, so how did you get um actually introduced to bob enterprises
1: well you know it's uh it's it's funny uh Ray, because uh, uh when I was thirteen years old uh, I was diagnosed with uh, a retinal condition called retinitis pigmentosa. And at that time, doctors had told me I was probably gonna be blind by the time I was 20. And uh, I was actually fortunate enough to, I was still driving a car at age 42. Um, So, but between 42 and 45, things started going downhill pretty quick for me. Uh, So I had uh, what they refer to as a late onset of uh, the condition. And uh, I'd always had trouble with night vision and uh, also my field of vision was disappearing, uh, and I knew that was happening, but it was for me it was very, very slow. Uh-huh. Um, so I went through you know uh, a couple um, uh, surgical procedures to try and forestall the uh, the damage that was being caused by the disease. Uh, in retrospect I Don't know that I probably would have done what I did do um, because uh, I'm not so certain that uh, going through the surgeries actually benefited me uh, because of the scar tissue and everything else. I might have had some more usable vision for a little bit longer. But um, as it was, I was uh, pronounced uh, totally blind uh, February 25th, 1998. Um, And uh, at that time, it was very interesting. Um, I did not know where I was going to get some help. Um, and I actually kind of stumbled across Bosma. Yes. It was uh, only through a social worker that happened to mention one day, they said, have you ever heard of Bosma? And at the time, Bosma was uh, a department of uh, uh, within the, the state's Department of Family Services. And uh, they had their training center uh, downtown Indianapolis, about uh, three blocks from where I was currently working. And so um, it was very important for me to stay working. And I remember going in and meeting with the director at the time. And she wanted me to, you know, just like we do here, we ask people to plan on, 12 to 16 weeks away from either the home or the work or whatever and uh, do their uh, classwork you know in the rehab center and I was telling her I said I don't think so Uh, I've got a lot of clients that are counting on me and uh, um, I only really need some orientation mobility my cane skills were a little rough Plus I had been using screen magnification to get me through, but I needed to learn the screen reader software uh, and also how to start taking notes using a digital, well at that time it was a cassette recorder. But some some way other than I had been using a legal pad and a pen, I couldn't do that anymore. So I had to come up with a new way. And so um, uh, at that time, I gave them two hours a day and uh, eventually I learned how to walk from my offices to the center, which is only three blocks away. So that was my first task was to get my orientation skills so that I could at least get there on my own. Right. I put in two hours every day from like June, 1998 until almost December, 1998. Uh, but uh, uh, that was a godsend for me. That's how I got to know Bosma, you know, at the time, and uh, uh, the the
0: rest is uh, pretty much history. So you were still working, um, yeah, pretty much so, and yep. so you couldn't work anymore. Well,
1: <laughs> that's that was kind of an interesting story too, Ray. Right. Uh, I'll share with you is uh, at the time I had uh, an employer who was uh, actually my boss was uh, very helpful in my case, wanted to make sure that the employer did an awesome job of taking care of me and whatever. And the company I was working for at the time went through some mergers and we got a, uh, that gentleman retired and somebody new came in. And as a result, um, uh, I ended up uh, about three or four years later realizing that I had been discriminated against. And Mm -hmm. as a result, Ended up having to go to federal court, uh, and I actually you know, ended up settling out of court. Right, um, and so uh, I was done with that particular employer, and uh, uh, and then I sat on the sidelines for a couple of years, and then uh, uh, James Michaels, uh, who I'd gotten to know from our relationship uh, on the beat baseball team, he called me one day, and uh, actually uh, I had taught some uh, business administration classes for the BEP program Um, and uh, he had remembered that and asked me if I'd be interested in interviewing for his position because he had recently been made the vice president of programs
0: and the rest is history. Here I am and
1: like I said, that was four and a half years ago.
0: So for those who don't know, BEP, that's the business enterprise Enterprise program. It's also... uh, Known as the Randolph Shepherd uh,
1: Act program, uh, for those who don't know it's uh, it's for people who uh, have uh, vending sites around uh, the state of Indiana uh, actually there's a similar program in almost every state um, and uh, so they uh, maintain and uh, their own businesses they they learn how to run a uh, Standalone business uh, from the classes that we teach, uh, and that's that's something that's only reserved for probably the most advanced uh, clients uh, because they do have to meet a certain prerequisite of mm-hmm. skills before they even enter that program. And it's it in itself is a is a very long program. It lasts uh, almost eight months, wow. and uh, it's um, um, it, it'll take a lot of uh, effort to get through that program. But uh, the ones that do uh, graduate uh, are then eligible, I believe, for a two-year period to uh, bid on various sites. Uh, And a site could be as simple as, uh, say, a department of transportation rest area up on one of the interstates, or it could be in a prison or a federal building or a state municipal building where they have either vending machines that need to be maintained and filled uh, or it also could be in a cafeteria type situation so as
0: the as the manager of the uh, rehab center what are some of your uh, duties um, as the manager
1: <laughs> i like uh i like telling everybody my uh, elevator speech as you, i try and keep it to 20 seconds or less but when i get asked that question it it really means being able to make every client's experience within the center as good as it possibly can be and it's really
0: really that simple so once a client uh, comes to us looking for services how um how do they first of all how do they obtain services from Bob enterprises sure um well the uh,
1: uh, hopefully they've you know heard about us through all the various forms of advertising that we use I know we have commercials out there on TV and radio and the website, and, and I know we do a lot of outreach uh, to visit with uh, uh, you know optometrists and ophthalmologists around the state, and we attend a lot of conventions and hand out a lot of brochures and stuff to people. So hopefully they've they've heard uh, about us, and uh, if they contact us, um, the the normal procedure is that about 98 percent of all the clients uh, get referred to us uh, through the vocational rehabilitation network Um, for those who don't know vocational rehabilitation um, is charged with um, helping people uh, seek um, uh, employment uh, or go on to higher education and then seek employment Uh, so if clients are interested in one of those two paths, um, they can contact their vocational rehabilitation counselor who's in their particular area. Usually that starts by contacting, um, Abby, lines, who is our, uh, admin assistant, uh, within the rehab center. And her telephone number is 317-704-8240. And when they contact uh, Abby, um, she can then uh, look up on a chart that she has to make sure that they are getting the right office to contact. And then the client is uh, expected to make that contact with that uh, particular vocational rehabilitation office, uh, which means they'll have an intake uh, conference uh, with those uh, individuals and It's up to the VR counselor to decide on whether they're going to uh, send uh, or refer them on to us or not. Uh, If we do get a referral, um, we'll get that individual, set them up for uh, an interview and also a tour. And uh, if we've had the referral, plus they've completed, uh, it's about a 90 minute interview. Okay. Typically, with either myself or uh, uh, either our adjustment counselor, or, or even uh, Abby uh, or Page, the Casa sometimes will uh, also do interviews. And uh, during that ninety-minute segment, uh, we're learning an awful lot about that particular client, their interest level, their past trainings, their goals, their aspirations, and we're also imparting information about what our program does and um, so once I have both that interview completed and the referral that starts the person on our waiting list Uh, up until mm, about six months ago our waiting list was about uh, six months before they could actually start their program Um, now we're uh, down to about only three and a half months there needs to be a certain amount of time there because people, since they're going to be coming to my center um, for 12 to 16 weeks on average, okay, that that uh, uh, they need some time to get their their life ready, right, to be able to take that time off right. from whatever they're doing at home or uh, even work, uh, so that they can come and get their training. Uh, for those individuals that. Marion County or what I call the Donut County areas um, uh, I refer to them as local clients Uh, all others are out-of-town clients anybody that's a local client uh, Bosma will provide our own transportation to pick them up at their home uh, bring them to our center for training training is always five days a week Monday through Friday Uh, starts at eight o'clock in the morning and goes to three, um, and uh, then our transportation will take them back home. If they happen to be from outside that local area, uh, they will be um, staying at the Extended Stay Hotel, which is roughly about a mile from uh, where we currently are located, and um, uh, it's it's a very nice uh, Extended Stay Hotel. By the way, the, the cost for all of this training is, is free to the client, there's no charge.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah. So what, what are the clients, what do you hear a lot from clients when they first arrive? Like, what are their biggest fears? Like what do what they worry about the
1: most? <laughs> it's, it's, uh you know, it's funny you bring that up, Ray, because um, the, the clients themselves are very nervous about what to expect. We try and put them at ease as much as we possibly can, but inevitably, their first day is very difficult for them. It's very trying. Uh, sometimes uh, you know, it may have been, you know, a couple years since they've really had a lot of activity, and uh, uh, so for a lot of them, you know, they're, they're kind of winded by the end of the day, the first day, because they've been pretty sedentary right. up to that point. So that's that's a, uh, an obvious thing that. Also, they're nervous because they really don't know what to expect. Right. Um, their second day is better than their first day, and their second week is much better than their first week. Okay, and so it's a natural progression that as they go through their program, their confidence level you know, increases, and uh, as I like to put
0: it, they're ready to whip the world by the time their graduation <laughs> happens. You know. so, uh, so, once they uh, are in the program, what kind of things will a client learn?
1: Yeah our our training is in uh, six main areas. Um, Orientation and mobility is area number one. Uh, I'll break that down into two words, orientation. That mainly means that uh, knowing where you are, uh, point A, your current location, and point B is the destination you want to get to. And also having some sort of spatial relationship of and also some sort of knowledge about the, you know, how far apart uh, or any obstacles in the way between A and B, okay? And that's all orientation uh, related. Mobility is how are you going to translate, you know, from point A to point B? Are you going to take a cab? Are you going to take uh, a shared ride? Are you going to do Indigo, Open Door? Personal car? Are you going to walk? Uh, sometimes it means you're going to maybe take an airline flight to a, you know a faraway city and then take a cab to your final destination. Uh, it takes a lot of logistics and planning, and it usually starts with uh, white cane training. Um, so uh, people are first issued a cane uh, of the proper length uh, based upon their height. Also their gait. Um, people who tend to walk faster need a slightly longer cane so that uh, they don't overstep the area that they're sweeping in front of them with the cane tip. And uh, so they first learn their way around the center how they can get from class to class. There are six classes per day so they need to be able to transfer from one classroom area to another training area uh, on their own and we take it very slowly until they learn that uh, area. Eventually, they'll make it outdoors. Uh, we have a, a training trail that uh, extends all the way around our current building. And it's kind of like an obstacle course, but it's meant to be a training course where they're uh, ex, you know, exposed to all different kinds of surfaces and different types of obstacles, such as ramps and mm-hmm. stairs and such uneven surfaces, cracks in the pavement, that type of thing. Um, So once they finish the the training trail, they'll eventually work their way into residential, uh, also small or um, uh, light commercial areas, such as like the Blymouthville area. And then eventually they'll get to the big big game, uh, which is downtown where you have uh, multiple lanes of uh, traffic with a lot of noise and walk-don't-walk uh, walk, uh, uh, crossings that they have to navigate. Uh, they also learn how to, to uh, ride public transportation. Um, so um, orientation mobility is, uh, is uh, that and assistive technology are probably the areas where people spend the most amount of time you know, during their program. So that's area number one. Area number two is manual skills, uh, and I like to, you know, just sum that up as manual skills is basically as we've lost or are losing our vision, our fingers are our ten new eyes. Right. And so when you've lost your vision, and us, you know, and we all have five senses. Since your vision is not doing the job anymore one of your other senses has to step up to the plate. So in this particular case, it's our sense of touch. And so we get very friendly with our fingers, you know, in the manual skill area, so that we develop that sense of touch and being able to identify, you know, hand tools just by touching them, being able to work with uh, uh, fixing a leaky faucet or tighten down a loose doorknob or maybe changing a flapper on a toilet. Uh, since you can't see what you're doing, you have to see with your touch. Yes. And so we're developing that uh, that sense of touch. So they work with clay and leather and work with the wood projects, weave a basket maybe. And a lot of people uh, mistake that for arts and crafts hour. and That's not at all what's intended. You may end up with a coffee mug. Right, yeah. <laughs> But that's not its purpose. Its purpose is to get you tuned up with making a connection from your fingertips to your brain
0: and letting you see with
1: your sense of touch.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a definitely a great um, area right there. And it also is a very good confidence builder for those uh, individuals who you know are used to working with their hands. So I know they, they get a good kick and excitement out of doing that. They sure right do. There. They sure do.
1: Um, the third area is personal management. And um, personal management, uh, in a word, is all about organization. And I tell this to people who come in the center, you know, for their interviews, uh, is that um, you know, travel from point A to point B is is definitely the hardest task any visually impaired or blind person has to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Getting from point A to point B is. The hardest thing to accomplish. Right next to it is forcing yourself to be much more organized than you ever have been in the past. And I always tell people, it's about you know making uh, a place for every gadget, device, important paper that you have in your in your home or apartment, and, and finding a place to put it, and, and putting it back there when you're done using it. So that. You're not doing the where's a, where's a, where's a game. So I always tell people uh, on their tour is, hey, do yourself a favor on the way home, stop at the hardware store, buy yourself a package of cup hooks, take one of the hooks and screw it into the door jamb next to the door that you go in and out of your house or apartment all the time. Maybe the garage door, maybe the front door, uh, but put your hang your keys on that hook when you come and go. Now you've at least, you know, always know where your keys are at do something similar for your phone your medications your important papers start finding those niches or places to put your things so it's all about being organized but back in personal management they're learning how to count the money tell time Uh, they how to be safe in the kitchen Uh, i can't emphasize that we're not going to turn you into a rachel ray or emma Wagassi. <laughs> right but you're going to be safe in the kitchen okay and so working with boiling liquids you know when you're making pasta or reaching in and out of a hot stove you don't want to burn yourself on the heating elements or working on the stove top with open flames such as a gas range we actually have uh, two different uh, cooking areas within our current uh, personal management area. Uh, One is for the folks that have gas uh, appliance at home, others for the electric uh, cooktop, but um, so that they learn how to handle sharp knives, uh, uh, things like that, how to slice, dice, peel, that type of
0: thing. You talked about uh, counting money. I know I get this question a lot. How do you know what, what are you handing another person? Like how do you know your money, Devin? you know, how do you tell what a 20 is from a five? What what would you tell the person? Yeah,
1: well, um, it's uh, nowadays, uh, it's a little easier because uh, if you have obtained uh, uh, the iBill device from the U.S. Treasury program, um, any any blind or visually impaired person that's part of, I I believe it's the Talking Books program, um, you, you can also uh, apply to get a free bill reader. and Basically, it's a it's a gadget that's about the size of a transistor radio with a slit in it, and you insert your, your bill, and it will speak to you and tell you whether it's a 1, 5, 10, or 20. Uh, you can also have an app on your smartphone that will uh, read that bill for you and do the same thing. Once you've identified your bills, uh, we're taught how to fold the bills in a certain way Uh, for example a one is folded over in half uh, sideways Uh, a five is folded uh, again after you folded it like a one you fold it again so it's a smaller rectangle a 10 instead of folding it in half first you fold it long ways and then over again so by and, and then a 20 is folded in half but you dog ear one of the corners down People have their own techniques for identifying it. uh, But those are the most basic ones. And then you put those in various spots within your wallet. And we're trained so that um, if I'm going to the convenience store and let's say my sack of chips and my soda came to uh, $1.75, I would find two ones in my wallet and hand them just enough paper currency that I know, because I've already checked the bills, I know I folded them the proper way, I know I'm handing them two ones, that all I'm expecting back is change. And then I can feel the change. Mm -hmm. You know, a quarter is larger than a nickel, it has ridges on it, nickel is smooth. Uh, A Dime is smaller than a penny, uh, and it has ridges where a penny is smooth. So you can tell just by touch. What type of change that you're getting back?
0: Uh, do you feel like um, a lot of people are um, staying away, are still trying to use Braille, or is that a tool that people are not using as much as they used to? I know, I know, we teach it at the rehab center. Yeah, uh, but does people uh, want to learn Braille, or how do they feel about Braille nowadays with all the technology in the world? Yeah. Um
1: it's it's interesting. I I look at Braille as uh, a very useful um, language. Yes, it's a language of touch, not a spoken language. But uh, you you read it uh, with your with touch, um, and uh, you can write it using a Braille writer, which is kind of a, a special typewriter that punches the, uh, the little nubbies you know in it, or you could use a, a slate and a stylus to punch out the the Braille as well. Um, Interesting story for me, um, uh, Katrina Anderson uh, was my instructor 20 years ago when I went through the BOSM program. She is still uh, our communications lead instructor. And she and I uh, talk about my struggles with Braille because I had worked with my hands so much during my lifetime, and at the time I was 45, it's harder for older individuals who haven't developed that sense of touch. Right. I just could not deal with Braille. I mean, so yes, I know my Braille alphabet and I you know if you put me to task I can I can read a couple cells of Braille, but if you put me with a Braille menu, I'm probably gonna start because I'm not gonna go <laughs> read it by myself. It's just I just don't have that touch. Right. And so from nineteen ninety eight so about 2005, um, I was struggling trying to label you know, file folders in my office and documents uh, with simple little codes I made up because I couldn't read a whole lot of Braille, but I could make out a cell or two. Yes. Um, and a cell is equivalent to kind of a character or punctuation. mark. So along comes something called the Pen Friend, which is a gadget that allows you to Audio labeling. So, labeling was probably the chief task I really wanted Braille for. Back in the day, you know, people, uh, you know, before the Talking Books program uh, evolved into cassette tapes, now they've actually gone to digital recording or even downloading it via the internet onto your smartphone. Before those days, you know, your only choice was to get books that were in Braille. And so um, uh, I don't know how much, you know, uh, just, you know, circulation of Braille books uh, that are being done by the Talking Books program. That'd be a good question for them. I'd love to know how much is sent out via Braille versus uh, audio. Uh, My suspicion is a lot more audio. Um, It's just simpler and easier. Plus, I listen at about two hundred percent spoken word rate, so I can get through in a talking book that, you know, um, if I listen to it at normal rate, it may be an eight-hour read. Okay, I can do it in four, just because I've been able to work my way up to much higher speeds, and I can listen to things, you know, much quicker and get through things quicker by doing that.
0: but definitely, definitely. But braille is definitely a great tool um it, it sure you, is i i it,
1: think it, it. i think the the biggest use of braille nowadays
0: is for labeling things. yes yes I would definitely want to learn i think it also gives you an advantage in learning learning what a word how it looks and how you spell it it will you know, keep you abreast of things yep. like that uh, but definitely with this technology it's so much easier just to download it on your smartphone and go about your business but, you know definitely a great tool to learn if you're able to absolutely have that feeling yep. and we you know, we definitely support that. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. So how, how has, um, impacted your life since you've been here?
1: And been oh here boy. And seeing,
0: <laughs> seeing the clients come and go and how, how have you been impacted? Well,
1: uh, I've worked with, um, uh, we average about 50 full-time comprehensive rehabilitation clients, uh, in a calendar year. Uh, in addition. Some single services. What is a single service? Basically, means that somebody doesn't need the the whole enchilada. Maybe they just need uh, one of the you know one or maybe two of the you know six areas um, of training. I should finish up by saying that the the other areas of training are assistive technology, which in the old days used to be called you know desktop computers. Um, Nowadays, I mean, I probably get most of my work done with my smartphone. I I have an Apple uh, iPhone, and, uh, you know, I've got three email accounts on there. Um, I uh, am able to uh, send emails, send text messages, all kinds of apps to help me navigate from point A to point B. Uh, It's really, you know, my best friend. I do have a laptop that talks to me um, uh, using a screen reader, Uh, but I can probably get by most of the time with just my phone. Uh, Yes. The laptop I use mainly for when I'm typing a lot. So if I'm typing up a, a large document and stuff, it's just more efficient for me to use the keyboard built into the laptop than it is to tap on my screen to type out things. So, um, but assistive technology, uh, we're working with individuals, as I said, who either want to go back to work or uh, also go to, say, maybe college, okay? So in the communications area, you know, maybe they're issued a digital reporter so they can take lecture notes. Well, they need to take those lecture notes and transcribe those onto their laptops. And uh, they also have the ability to take the recording that they recorded on their digital recorder, transfer that to the laptop, uh, and uh, use that for, you know, later study to get ready for a midterm exam or a final exam. So all of those skills, uh, which include, in, in our particular case, anybody that's going through our program, uh, they are issued a, uh, a laptop, uh, and uh, that, is, that is a gift from, from Bosma of the clients and um, that laptop uh, will then have some uh, at least a demo copy of either screen to magnification or screen reader on it Uh, it'll also have a one-year subscription to Microsoft Office 365 um, so that when they leave the program they've got something to go home and continue uh, their studies and as I've always told people you know upon graduation that's not the end of your program. It's the start of the rest of your life. Yes, And um, I expect them to keep uh, uh, practicing what they've learned. Because if they don't practice what they've learned, they'll forget. Yeah. So, assistive technology, communications, and communications, as I said, digital recording, uh, being able to take, you know, maybe it's just your shopping list. Or maybe somebody wants to give you an address or an appointment date for your Next dental appointment need something to capture that just for the moment, and then you can transfer that to your smartphone and your calendar or whatever at a later time. But uh, digital recorders are very very useful for that. Um, handwriting, a lot of folks like to still write personal messages to people. Now maybe yeah. they can't read them themselves, right. but Okay, but they like they like to personalize a message and give it to a loved one or whatever. So we support. Various ways of uh, continuing to uh, do handwritten messages. Uh, the Talking Books Program I've already talked about uh, is through the Library of Congress, um, and uh, I can't say enough things about that. I myself I do about thirty books a month, um, a book a day, um, and it's just because I've always been a voracious reader. Yes, uh, that's how I keep keep abreast of things. Uh, the NFB Newsline is also an important service that we teach and it's the newspapers and magazines that they're either able to download to their phone or use a telephone uh, that has a touchstone touch pad on it where they can listen to uh, daily newspapers magazines and such a very very useful service
0: definitely yeah. well i wanted to, uh, before i get you out of here i want to talk about the center of excellence i know we're about to move are you guys are about to move into a new uh, building yes them, 72nd and woodland Lane. What can you tell us about the center of excellence? What can we expect? Oh boy! Um,
1: you know, as, as as I had said, you know, I've worked with about fifty people per year while I've been there. So I, I've I've met about since I've been there about two hundred and fifty individuals, and uh, I'll also tell you that no two people are the same. Okay, everybody has different backgrounds, different likes, dislikes, aspirations for what they want to do, and I, I cherish. of the the people that I've met over time. Uh, Unfortunately in our current uh, center uh, we're constrained by uh, the area of training space available plus staff availability to only about 15 individuals at a time in the center. Uh, Our new center uh, which we hope to be moving in in mid-February footprint has been designed so that we might be able to have as many as 24 to 30 individuals in there at a time. That helps me because it cuts down on the waiting time that people have to wait because I don't start people in the program in groups. They're, the reason why somebody gets to start on any particular Monday is because probably we had a graduation last Friday. So as one person completes a program, a new person is starting So, in that center, because I'll have, uh, hopefully, the ability to put more people through the program at a time, uh, that's something I'm really, really looking forward to. You know, you also asked me earlier about uh, my, uh, what what do I find exciting about Bosman? And for me, don't tell my boss this, but I would probably do the job for nothing, because (laughs) I thoroughly enjoy, you know, giving back and teaching others the skills that I've been, you know, given by Bosma. Uh, even though it was 20 years ago, uh, things have only gotten better, and um, uh, opportunities are only better um, than they were even 20 years ago.
0: Well, I'd like to thank you, uh, Kurt, for coming on the sure. Navigating Blindest podcast today, and. Uh, dropping all that good knowledge on us and sure. letting us know how a individual who may be having trouble with their vision or seeking some type of service uh, can come to Bosma, and we can get them back on the path to independence. So, uh, once again, thank you, Kurt, and uh, thank you guys for listening to the Bosma Enterprises Navigating Blindness podcast. I will catch you guys next week.